Good morning. Good morning. Oh, thank you. Um, it is, it's, it's a pleasure to be here this morning. It really is. My name is Joey. For those of you who do not know, I am, I'm a part of what's going on here at, at Sulphur Community Church. I'm a member of, of Trent's uh, life group, who was pointed out to you earlier as uh, the expert on, back to, on baptism. Uh, so be sure to bring him all of those tough questions, every single one of them. Um, and so uh, today, in honor of Martin Luther King Day, um, which is tomorrow, we always set aside a Sunday, the Sunday before, to talk about race, reconciliation, and, and what does the Bible have to say about these issues, that these were issues uh, when the Bible was written, before the Bible was written, uh, and they're issues today, and it has a lot to speak on it. Uh, some of you may have noticed, um, I'm not Blake. I don't look anything like Blake, um, but Blake has asked me to, uh, to step in and, and take this week due to some unforeseen circumstances that were outside of his control, and so that's why I am here uh, this morning. And so what I'm, what I'm going to do is, is, is read the text and then pray, and we're just, we're just going to dive right into this. And so um, we're in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Uh, again, that's Ephesians chapter 2, um, starting in, in verse 11. And uh, the, our text this morning reads, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remembering that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Heavenly Father, I come before you today, Lord, and I am humbled. Lord, I am grateful. I am thankful. And Lord, I, I pray that today, especially today, that you are with me, that your words uh, come from this music stand. Lord, that that I get out of the way and let you speak because I fear I don't have much to say or much authority to say it on. But Lord, we love you. We pray that you move today, that your truth is revealed, that it penetrates uh, hardened hearts, Lord. And, and Lord, I, I pray that, that you speak clearly, but that we listen, that we hear, that your spirit opens up hearts. 
Lord, we love you. Lord, we, we want our hearts to be changed. We want to see things how you see them, Lord. Uh, and I just pray that you set those, those gospel lenses before us. We love you. We're able to pray these things due to the work of your Son on our behalf. Amen. And so I, I grew up here, not in this building, not even in this town. I grew up in, in Lake Charles in, in Westlake. I bounced between those two uh, quite a bit. But being in, in southern Louisiana is what I mean. I grew up here in southern Louisiana. Growing up, I just have to be real honest with you. There was a certain, there was a certain lens that I was given to view race and race issues. And it was a lens that at the end of the day white people were better than black people. I, I can't say it any more bluntly than that. I was taught not to say that. You can't say that, but I was, ta I was taught to act that way in, in every way. I was taught that, that things like, like affirmative action, that was, that, was, that was a bad thing. That was to give unqualified people jobs just because they were, they were ethnic people, just because they were minority. And that was wrong. I was taught that uh, most people who, who are of the minority, uh, mainly, mainly black, they are, they're on welfare, and, and they mooch off the government, and, and they don't work. They have no work ethic. But me, I was privileged. I, I, I was born in, in, a, in a different race. I was white. I was, the, I was the overarching majority culture. My views were heard while, while others were, were diminished. And I was taught these things. I saw it in society. I sat in a Baptist church in Westlake, Louisiana, and I listened to a pastor say that the, the black race came from a curse from God. When, when Cain killed Abel, he turned his skin black. I heard that from a Baptist church, a church that I was later saved in. That's where black people came from, a curse from God. Their skin was turned black because they're cursed. And so that's the lens that I had. And that's, that's the lens that I, that I grew up with. Right? And so later on in life, I did learn... Well, you can't actually say those things. You need to say that racism is wrong, that discrimination is wrong, and that the gospel doesn't preach it, but I still never saw that it was wrong. Everything seemed to affirm that that is actually the way things were. And after I graduated college and I married Cassidy, uh, we moved to Fort Worth. And I didn't realize... I. I didn't realize what God was going to do through that move. I honestly, I, I didn't. He took, me, he took me out of southern Louisiana. And don't get me wrong, it's not like we moved up north. We moved to Fort Worth. But it was, it was far enough north that I got to see a change in perspective. I was, I was lucky enough to go to a church that purposely pursued diversity, that purposely made unity an absolute priority, that taught that in Christ... We could have unity, and that is beautiful, and we can have diversity, and that is also beautiful. More beautiful than having a dominant culture decide everything. And what happens is my perspective began to change. 
And I started to see things that I had not saw before. And luckily, I had dudes in four who were willing to sit down across the table from me, men of minority, men who, who were Hispanic, men who were Asian, and men who were black, who, who sat across the table from me, and they allowed me to just, just ask questions, to open a conversation. How do you feel? Because what, what I was taught is every time you want something, all you have to do is this card and you get it, and that makes me angry. But how do you feel? How do you see it? And what happens is the lens that was put in front of my eyes began to change. As I began to see things different through a different lens, through a more gospel-centered lens, through the lens of, of Jesus, I began to more clearly see where things had gone awry, where things have gone wrong. Today, in our text, Paul is going to set before us a gospel lens. A lens that makes these, these issues clear. A, a lens that does not, that is not ashamed to say, this is wrong, this does not belong. And in verses 1 through 10, he sets forth a new way for us to view ourselves individually. We're going to start in, in actually verse 11, but in verses 1 through 10, he goes through and he says, individually, you were all dead. You were all sons of wrath. You were all deserving of condemnation. And you have nothing to offer whatsoever. You were all on a level playing field. That playing field. And he says, but God. But God is rich in mercy. And God loved us. And God provided his son to, to reconcile this death, to, to bring life to those who were dead. And in verse 10, he says, I'm sorry, starting in verse 8, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so Paul is making this very clear. Your salvation, your belief in Christ, your journey from death to life, it had nothing to do with you. It had nothing to do with what you did, or you being special, or you being of a certain club, or you being white, or any other race. Everyone's on the same playing field. We all fall short of the glory of God. And so what Paul's going to move into with, with already that lens, we're going to add a few more to it. With already that one, though, in verse 11, what Paul's going to do is Paul is going to reach into the single most foundational division of the first century. And he's going to bring that individual truth to the people of God. So we, we, we view ourselves properly now as individuals. Hey, I individually, I was dead and God saved me by grace. But what does that do with my relationships to other people now. And so Paul reaches in, starting in verse 11. He says, therefore, we're going to go ahead and stop there. I stole this directly from Blake. And, and the first time I heard it, I was like, you know, that's cute, but I'm not going to use it. But then I, I find myself using it all the time. Anytime you see the word therefore, you need to ask the question, what is it therefore? Because there's a reason there. And so Paul is drawing conclusions from the first 10 chapters. He's not done with 
with, the, with the idea that individually you've done nothing to bring yourself into right standing with God. So he says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. And so what Paul's going to do is something very similar to he did in the first 10, the first 10 verses. He's going to talk about what it was like before Christ. Because we need to have that. We need to have that dark background or else Jesus doesn't look that great. We need to have the, the grim reality of what it was like to not have Jesus before Jesus really starts to look great. Right? So we need that, we need that darkness of our sin. And so he's going to set that in the first few verses. And first, he points to something or he lets, the, he lets us know that he's, he's going straight to the matter straight to the division, straight to the sensitive subject. And he says that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh were called the uncircumcision. This term, the uncircumcision, this, this, was, this was a derisive term. This was just as much as any racial slur that we have today. This was a constant reminder that these people were other. They were excluded. They were left out. They were lesser. They were unclean. They were uncircumcised. And so what Paul is reaching directly into this, and he's, he's saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm about to talk about that. I know, I know you may not want to, but the, but the Spirit of God commands that I bring light to this. And so they were called the uncircumcision by the circumcision. That was the Jews. That was, that was God's people. Those who were circumcised as, as, the visible, as the visible representation of the covenant God made with Moses. And so as, as Jews, they saw themselves as separate as well. They saw themselves as privileged, as chosen, as holy, as clean, as God's people. So they were above the Gentiles. They were above the uncircumcised, the unclean. And what happened is this created hostility between the two groups. One group clearly saw themselves as better, uh, as separate than the other. And the, and, and the other is just left to kind of like their own devices. This is not unlike what we see today. It may not be necessarily along religious uh, divide, though we can see that today. We can see people who say, hey, hey, Muslims shouldn't be in our country. Muslims, they believe different stuff than us. They want to come over here and they want to kill us. And they want, they, you, do you know what these people believe? They don't belong here. So we see, we see that religious divide, sure. But in, in, in my life, living in the deep south has always been a racial divide. It's always been black and white. It's always been... I am of the privileged. I am of those who, who, who work for a living instead of leaning on the government. Who pass, uh, I don't pass my responsibilities off to someone else. I take care of them myself. I am better. I am separate. And so, and so Paul is reaching in, and, and just as he's bringing truth to their division, and that day he's bringing truth to the divisions that we see in our culture today, and he says, 
uh, he, 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 he makes sure to teach that this, this circumcision that they're talking about, this was a circumcision in the flesh made by hands. This is not a spiritual circumcision. So they're, they're dividing themselves among what, what, is, uh, what they believed that was done by human hands. But in verse 12, he continues, Remember, at that time, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. He's, he's, spelling, it out, he's spelling out what it was like to be a part of the, the other in age, how they were viewed. And he uses very strong words that he's going to use multiple times throughout this thing. And he says that you are, you are separated from Christ. We now know separation from Christ is, is complete hopelessness. And he says that you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. The commonwealth of Israel, that was that special group of people who the, who the promises of God belonged to. And it says you were alienated. You are left out of that group. And he says that you are strangers to the covenants of promise. Strangers here is foreigners. Someone who has no rights. Someone who has no privilege. A complete stranger to the covenants of promise. The promises that God made. And so they could, they could go to the temple and they could hear these promises. And then they could immediately be told, but they don't belong to you. God promised that his people would be a great nation. And God promised that he would be with his people and that he would fight for his people. He would provide a savior for his people. And if that sounds like really good news, I'm sorry, this actually doesn't apply to you. You're not one of us. And what I want to do right here is I actually want to go to verse 19. And I want to read verse 19 for you. Keep in mind what verse, uh, what verse 12 just said. But verse 19 reads, So then, that's a concluding statement. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What a stark contrast. You are alienated. You are strangers. You are other. You are you are." Worthy, but now you are members of the household of God. You are citizens, fully protected, full rights, full privileges. The question begins to come up what happened between verse 12 and verse 19? What happened? The answer Jesus happened. Jesus happened. What happened when I moved to Fort Worth? I got a clearer picture of. Jesus, a more diverse, a more unified picture of Jesus. And what Paul is about to have, what Paul is about to teach us here is even in, in that uh, society with these divisions, and in our society today, Jesus directly reflects and Jesus reconciles these divides. Jesus makes it so that there is no place within the people of God for this discrimination, for this hatred, for this racism. And so in these in-between verses, we're going to journey through what difference does Jesus make in our society, specifically in relation to race and to discrimination. So jump back up with me to verse 13. Paul just got through telling us that, hey, before, before Jesus... You were, you were strangers, you were alienated, you, you were other, you were excluded. 
but my favorite word in all the Bible, he says, but. Anytime that there's a hard contrast, starting with but, pay attention. He says, but now, I'm speaking of what it was before, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He begins to spell, to spell out how this, is, this whole thing is being corrected. And he says, in, in Christ. What we're going to see in a few verses is that in Christ is going to denote a new, a new category of human being. A new race. A new creation. A creation that's in Christ. They're not Jew. They're not Gentile anymore. They are in Christ and he says, and now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off, who we just identified, right? He's writing this to the city of Ephesus. He's writing this to a church that is made up of both Jew and Gentiles. And he says, you who are far off, you have been brought near. And you have been brought near. You have been brought near uh, by the blood of Christ. And he's, he's going to ground everything to the cross. Everything is, is by the blood of Christ, by the work of Christ, by Christ's sacrificial death that reconciled us to God. And he went through that, right? He spilled that out in the first 10 verses. Individually, this is the work that Christ has done. But now we're not looking at ourselves individually. We're looking at what Christ has done in reconciliation to one another. We're looking horizontally, beyond ourselves, and so what impact does Christ's work have to do with us and one another? How do I relate to my fellow man? And he says that we have been brought near by his blood. In verse 14, he continues, for he himself is our peace. And that's a, that, that caught me off guard. I, I thought that that was a strange thing to say. I always thought, yeah, Jesus brings peace. Well, what does it mean for Jesus himself to be our peace? And what Paul is doing is he is pulling from specific wording that comes out of the Old Testament. They didn't have chapters and verses in Jesus' day. That was added later to help you find what you were talking about. And so what he would do is he would pick out unique wording, and that's how... Uh, they would let you know where they were in the Old Testament. And to call Jesus himself peace echoes Isaiah. It echoes Isaiah. And Trent taught on this a few weeks ago, the different titles that Isaiah gave to Christ. And one of them was the Prince of Peace. That he himself is peace. That in him peace is brought and in him peace is had today. And he says, and he says that for he himself is our peace who has made us both one. All of Ephesians is about unity in the church. Every, every drop of ink from, from the from very beginning of chapter one all the way to the end is about unity. Chapter by chapter, Paul just undresses and removes obstacles to unity. And here he's saying, hey, this, this racial divide that y'all have, this religious divide that y'all have, it has no place in the church. It has no place. It only stands in front of unity. And so he is saying, through Jesus, we have peace. And he says, we have both 
We have been made one. This is, this is language only ever talked about in marriage, where two parties have become one, that intimate bonding of, of two groups. And it's a picture of reconciliation. It's a picture of two people laying down their divisive, individual, individualistic, you know, kind of views and coming together, both focused and both enamored with something, and that's Christ. And so he, he continues in, in, in the most, I think, powerful uh, sentence in these verses. It says that he has made us both one and he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So, so there's, there's walls of hostility that Christ has to first bring down. First, this can actually be interpreted literally. There was a literal wall in the temple in Jerusalem that divided the outer courts from the inner courts. The inner courts were reserved only for the Jews. The Gentiles can go into the outer courts, but there was a wall, a, a literal wall with plaques on it at even intervals that went throughout and said, if you cross this wall as a Gentile, you are responsible for your own death. You will be killed. And there's no one to blame but you because you've been warned. That was a literal and stark picture of what these divides looked like in that culture, what those foundational divisions were. If you come into our place, we will kill you, and you have no one to blame but yourself. You don't belong here. You are unclean. I didn't grow up in the 60s. I didn't see those literal divisions, the walls of division. I didn't see a fountain for black people and a fountain for white people, but I saw its after effects. I saw that there was still things where metaphorically, you aren't supposed to be here. This is for us, not you. You know the main place I saw that? In church. We do things our way. You do things your way, and that's great. You can go do that somewhere else, but here, this is our way. And if you want to come in through these doors, you're welcome. We're kind of uneasy about it, but you're welcome here. But just know, you leave your culture at the door. You leave your ethnic culture and your ethnic preferences. You check them at the door, and you adopt my culture. Because my culture is better than yours. It's more dominant than yours. And so I didn't get to see the signs. Martin Luther King did. And I don't know what life would look like if he wasn't assassinated and he lived through the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and, and maybe even today. I don't know what, what would have brought. But he did get to see those things and he spoke out against those things. And here, Paul, Paul is he's, he's letting us know this is not a new issue this is, this is not even really a race issue. This is a sin issue. This is a worship issue. You're not worshiping Jesus if you're upholding these discriminations. You are not worshiping Jesus if you uphold this racism. And so he says, Christ has brought down this dividing wall of hostility and, and this literal wall that was in Jerusalem. He's saying it doesn't matter anymore. 
The inner courts were meant for those who could draw near to God. And he says, through me, anyone can draw near to God as long as you are in me. But he goes on to say that this was also a bit of a metaphorical, an intangible wall, because he says he brought down this dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. And so this is, this is the holy, sacred um, rituals that the Jewish people would hold on to to say that we are God's chosen people, we, we are circumcised, we, we follow this law over here, and we go through these cleanliness rituals that you don't go through, that you can't go through, because you are not of the people of God. So therefore, this is what separates us from you. We are chosen. You are not. And so in Christ, he brings that wall down too. He brings that wall down, and, and, and some of you may be reading this saying, wait, 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 wait. It says that he has abolished the law. Hold on. There's other scripture in the New Testament that Christ says that he has not come to do away with the law. He wouldn't change any jot or tittle, that he wouldn't change the smallest aspect of the law. What does it mean now that he has abolished the law? And, and what this means here is that he has nullified it. He has nullified its divisive tendencies. He has fulfilled the law. He has removed the condemnation that the law has brought. And he is saying, in me, in my perfect adherence to the law, you can have life and you can be uh, near to God and you can go into the quote-unquote inner courts, into the holy of holies, into the direct presence of God. You're not unclean anymore. In my blood, you are washed clean. And by doing so, he continues, that he has, he has torn down the dividing wall of hostility uh, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. Now, the word might here, that doesn't mean necessarily what we may think. We're, hey, this might happen. It might not. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. It's iffy. Still in the air. We're still penciling stuff in. This is, this is so that it will, so that this action will be brought about. And it says what he does is he makes one new man in the place of two. So, so there's no more Jew or Gentile right? Paul will echo this explicitly in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, he says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, I wanted to bring that up very specifically for a few reasons. A, that verse is radically taken out of context in today's culture. It is radically mishandled and twisted and forced to represent an agenda that is not in Scripture. It is used to teach that there is gender is now fluid. There is no more roles based on gender. There is no such thing as what a man should do and what a should do. Because if people will point to this verse and you say, does the Bible not say that there is no more male and female? And unless you've been taught a proper 
context of this, of this verse, you, you may have a hard time answering that. And he says, well, we're all one in Jesus, so therefore there is no more gender. All this discussion of gender is to uphold these ancient thoughts on today's society. And what Paul is saying here in Galatians is that salvation is not for a specific group of people or that salvation is not just for males. It's not just for Jews not just for Gentiles, but salvation, the work of Christ, unites all kinds of people. It doesn't matter of a kind of people that salvation is no longer for. That's, that teaching has, has no place anywhere in Scripture. Even when, uh, even in the Old Testament, there is not a place where it says, only the can know God. It was always to be a witness to those who are outside. Christ explicitly comes in and says, hey, I'm bringing all those outside people. I'm bringing them all inside. I'm tearing down all these walls. I'm creating one new man, a man that is in Christ, a new race, a new category of human in Christ. And so that is, that is saying horizontally, the work that Christ has done has reconciled us to one another. It has torn down all these walls of hostility that we have built up. And to one another, we are reconciled. And what he will begin to do is this, this new identity as the people of God. He will show that as, as a church, corporately, we have been reconciled to God as well. And so this is a, a vertical reconciliation. And it starts in verse 16. And he's continuing his previous thought. And he says, Might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. And so now we're talking about this, this vertical reconciliation, right? As a group of people who is reconciled with one another, who is diverse, unified, who is me but one. As a group of people, we have been reconciled to God. And everybody who is in this group of people has that same reconciliation, right? So individually, individually, Christ has reconciled you to God. In his reconciling you to God individually, you are reconciled with one another. As you are reconciled with one another, you form a new body, and that body also has peace with God. And so he says, and so that he reconciles us to God in one body through the cross. He's grounded in all back to the work on the cross. It is by the cross that any of this is actually happening or possible. And he says, thereby killing the hostility. That is one thing that we really need to focus on and, and listen to and realize. The hostility is all manufactured by us. It's not there. It is dead. It died on the cross with Jesus. The hostility that we feel between other races, between other cultures, that is made by us. That is man-made. It has no place in the of God. You understand that? That is, that is, that is like sitting in an unlocked jail cell complaining about being locked up. It's just you creating this illusion that you can't leave when you can. And, and these racial tensions that we have, 
they're man-made. I'm not saying that they're not real. I'm not saying that they're figments of your imagination. I'm saying they are made by us out of the own divisiveness that is in our heart. It spills over. And what Paul is saying here is that there's one answer, and that answer is Christ and his work. Now, what does that mean? That, that means that the answer is not you. Even more so, the answer to the racial reconciliation problems in this area isn't Sulphur Community Church. The answer is Jesus. The job of Sulphur Community Church and other churches is to point people to that answer. That's all we want to do, to give you a glimpse of Jesus, of what he does, of what his work accomplishes. And he says that, he says that this hostility is, is killed. It's gone. It has no power over us. In verse 17, it says, And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and preached uh, and peace to those who were near. For, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And so he's, he's just continuing this motif of, of, of unity and beauty and diversity. And so he's like, to those who are, who are near, to those who are far, it's all the same message. And he's not talking about to, one, to the ones who are near to God and the ones who are far away from God. He, he's talking about to those who live immediately in here, but also to those who live in other nations elsewhere, to those who are far away from where this, this is happening. Because in the New Testament, this is all localized in kind of the Mediterranean world. And he's saying to, to everyone, to all nations, does this preaching, does this peace belong? And he says, for through him, through Christ, we both, have access in one spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, that's capitalized in your Bible, to the Father. So he says, we, we all, through the work of Christ, we all have access to the Father. And I know you be, might be thinking, this is, this is rather repetitive. We, we get it, but it doesn't look like we get it. It looks like someone could preach this a thousand times and we still wouldn't get it. I look, you know, I look around, the church is still pretty divided. We're still not that welcoming, even though we sit back and we say, geez, I get it, lay off. It doesn't seem like we get it. But through this teaching, through the work of Christ, what does Paul conclude? In verse 19, he starts his, he starts his conclusion, and he says, so then... So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. So then, right? So then you brought near, right? What right do we then have to turn around and tell to someone else, you're not welcome? You're not welcome here. Your culture's not welcome here. The changes that you would bring if you came here, they're not welcome. We were the ones who were far off. We were the ones who were alienated. We were the ones who were strangers. And we were brought near through no work of our own. On what basis can you then turn to someone else and tell them they're not welcome? 
that they're too different, that they are strangers, that they are unclean, that they are worthy. You were not worthy. You were made worthy through no work of your own. With that lens, how ugly does racism look? How ugly does discrimination look? How ugly does to tell someone who is in need, I can't help you because you have different beliefs than me? How out of place does this look? How devastating that it's in our churches. How devastating that it's in this church. It has no place, but we hold it here artificially to protect our own whatever it is we are protecting, to protect our own idols, our own comfort. And here, here we still have this truth. God is still for us. In this brokenness, God is still reconciling us. And he says, and he continues in the last few verses here, that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And, and Paul, all throughout Ephesians, he, he's talking about being built, a building being joined together, made of, of just look at this building, made of different materials that serve different purposes, that has different colors, and it all comes together. And he says that we are being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone, the stone that sets everything square, the stone that, the stone that makes everything stable, that without which a building would completely crumble. And he says, in whom the whole structure, the whole church is being joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, a place where God dwells, a place where God meets his people, a holy temple. And then Paul goes back. In him who you are uh, also are being built together in a dwelling place. Uh, for God by the Spirit. And so he goes back to the individual. He says, you're all being joined together to form, to form the church, the universal church, who is, who is beautiful because it's diverse, it's united, but also you individually, you are being formed as a holy temple for the Spirit. In us, we are being formed to the likeness of Christ. And we... We already know how this thing is going to turn out. Revelation already tells us. In, in, in Revelation 9-7, what does it say? John gets a glimpse of what it looks like in heaven. And he says, And there was a multitude standing before the throne, all worshiping from all tongues, all tribes, all nations. And they were all there by the work of Christ. We already know. So you can, if you want to, you can waste your time trying to keep the church looking a certain way. Trying to keep certain cultures out or trying to keep your culture dominant. It is in vain. It will be accomplished. The church will be diverse. But that diversity 
is its beauty. That unity is its beauty as we are all so infatuated with the same thing that is Christ that we forget our individual tendencies and preferences. Why? Because we don't stand face to face looking at one another, picking out differences. We stand shoulder to shoulder, completely enamored with something that is outside of ourselves. And that is Christ. And so what do, we, what do we do with this? What do we do with this, this information? Okay, great. Great, great, Joey. I, maybe I'm on board, maybe I'm not. Maybe there's a skeptic in here that says, hey, I don't really buy what you're saying. It sounds pretty, and you're getting some head nods and some, some, some silent amens because we're Baptists and we're a little quieter, you know. Uh, but it, it sounds all pretty, but I see Christians outside of Sunday service, and I see the jokes that they make, and I see, and I see them laugh at things, and I see them displaying the complete opposite of this. I'm not buying it, Joey. I'm sorry. To that person, I would just say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I am absolutely, from the bottom of my heart, sorry without excuse that Christ has been portrayed to you in a completely wrong way. I, I, I would ask you to not discount Christ himself through, because of the faults of his followers. I would, I would apologize that you didn't get a fair shake at this. Just no, no, please. That is not Christ. That is not what Christ teaches. I'm sorry that we have reflected him so poorly. Please be patient with us. But so what? At the end of the day, what do I do? What do I do with this information? Because if it just dies here, I've wasted my time and yours. What do I do? Here's some really, really, really practical stuff. And I always think of David when I want to say something really practical. And I try to what would David say. But you can simply start Someone who looks, believes, and is you. Start a conversation with someone who has a different viewpoint. And please do not start it on Facebook. <laughs> start it in person. Someone, someone, you don't, you don't think Trump is a very good president? Talk to someone who thinks he's awesome. You don't think immigrants should be allowed in the country? Talk to someone who does. Or vice versa. You don't think that there's such thing as white privilege? Talk to someone who is convinced that there is. Talk to someone who has a different viewpoint than you. And listen. Listen to what they say. Gain a different perspective. Look at life through a different lens than just what you've been raised being told your whole life. Specifically, when there's different people in this building, talk to them. Welcome them. Let them know that, that they are welcome here, regardless of whether or not they're, they're okay or not. This is, this is an okay place to not be okay. It's an okay place to have questions. It's an okay place to have doubts. Be glad when there's different ethnic elements in our worship. 
Worship does not belong to you, and it doesn't your culture. When there's different elements in worship that you don't like, lay those aside. Pray for more wisdom. Pray for a different view. Pray for more sensitivity. Again, these, 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 are, these are very, very ground-level things that you can do, but their impact is much bigger than you may know. I just moved the world. I was just moving cities, but it was huge. It was pivotal in my life simply because I gained a different perspective on things. And I'm not saying that there's not racism in my heart because there is but I'm saying that I am praying and I'm trying to become more aware of it and through the work of Christ, I hope to kill it. Let me pray for us, guys.